Screen Time with John Fardy. This is News Talk. Hello and welcome to Screen Time. I'm John Fardy and this is News Talks TV and Movie Show. This week on the show, I chat to director Sasha King about her powerful documentary Vicky, a profound and intimate documentary about Vicky Phelan. Mark Ryle has the week's new cinema releases, including Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. Plus, comedian and actress Laura O'Mahony on her favourite film. And your chance to win tickets to a screening of Amsterdam, the new Christian Bale movie. I'm open on Twitter, John underscore Farty, or you can email me, screentime at newstalk.com. This show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. And it's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm right here on Newstalk. Good weekend to you all. Hope you're doing well and life is treating you well. I am cold free this week after being a bit nasal last week. At least I I think I am. I think in the post-COVID era or whatever era we're in, who knows, post or whatever. But, uh, you know, colds in your head seem to last longer. Or you're, you're constantly thinking, is this gone? Is this gone? But I, but I think it's nearly gone. Just to give you a health update, you know, I know you're concerned about these things. I meant to mention last week, the previous week, I'd said I'd never watched Hacks, uh, which did well at the Emmys. And a lot of people got in touch saying, you have to watch Hacks. You'll really like it. And my sister-in-law, Aoife, who is the most regular listener to this show, who lives in England and, you know, we're trying to go for that UK audience, especially now at the sterling rate. And uh, she said, Hacks is great. I'm not sure if you like it, but it's great. So obviously my back is up now. So now I'm going to spite watch it, you know, which is hard to do. And I'm going to spite like it, which is even harder to do. So I will report to you in due time after watching, after spite watching Hacks. And hello to you, Aoife. Now in TV this week, I was watching this. I'm watching about a half a dozen contract operators. Their op is not to kill you. It's to retrieve you and put you on that plane. I know you well enough to know you want to engage, go to ground, figure out how to fight back. You're not going to do that. No, really, why? Your daughter is about to be a part of this. You're about to drive this to a place you're not going to like. Two great American actors there, John Lithgow and Jeff Bridges. Yes, this is a new show on Disney Plus you may have read about called The Old Man. And the old man in question is a 72-year-old Jeff Bridges. Not that old in this grand scheme of things, but they certainly make him feel and look old in this to a certain extent. This is based on a novel of the same name by Thomas Perry, The Old Man. And in it, we see Dan Chase, Jeff Bridges, living off-grid. He absconded from the CIA over 30 years ago for mysterious reasons that are in the process of possibly being revealed. And when the show starts, he's living, as I say, not off-grid, as in he doesn't have electricity or anything, but away from everyone that he's known. He seems to have a daughter that he's in touch with only on the phone and he's living out his life as quietly as possible. And then about 15 minutes in, someone comes to his house to try and take him down and he's suddenly back in the game there. And John Lithgow is an agent he has a serious amount of history with, which is again slowly revealed. And by the end of the first episode, he's on the run. Uh, and he needs to go even further off the grid. This is very entertaining, well-written stuff. Jeff Bridges probably doesn't get out of bed unless there's a decent script to make it worth his while at this stage of his career. And this is certainly worth it. This was just really compelling, thrilling, entertaining stuff. Jeff Bridges is brilliant in it. No one groans like Jeff Bridges does. Uh, Just he's gnarled, he's old, he's cranky, but he's still a badass and he's able to fire a gun like no one else. And he, he becomes an action hero in it at 72. There's two episodes on Disney Plus so far. It's dropping every week. It's a seven-parter. Really very entertaining. Kind of a spy thriller. I, I mean, there's lots going on in it, but I think it's old-fashioned entertainment. And Jeff Bridges and John Lothgo are brilliant in it so far. So a serious thumbs up for the old man from me on Disney Plus. One of those shows I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing the next episode on. And I don't say that that often. So 
big thumbs up, as I say. Another show this week about a man, uh, a couple of men, and indeed a woman, is Inside Man, which was on BBC on Monday night and Tuesday night, and it's going to be on Monday night and Tuesday night next week. And it's a mad, daft story, but a rollickingly entertaining one. Stanley Tucci plays a man who murdered his wife who's on death row. So again, Stanley Tucci, you know, doing a TV show, you have to stand and watch and think, you know, he's probably not going to just do any old TV show because he's Stanley Tucci. As I say, he's playing a guy on death row who murdered his wife, but he's a psychologist and a very smart one. And in a daft plot turn, but a very entertaining one, the prison governor brings him cases that he might be able to help solve. Uh, It's very strange. He seems to be this kind of moral killer. And then in a seemingly very unconnected way, we move to the UK where David Tennant plays a vicar who has this very strange altercation with his son's maths teacher, played by Dolly Wells. She ends up getting trapped in David Tennant's basement. And then there's also this investigative journalist involved. Somehow we're led to believe this is all going to come together in some fashion and we're not entirely sure how this is strange a bit silly but really really entertaining and again for the second time this week and the second show this week i'm really looking forward to seeing the next two episodes i've watched the first two now we come to that strange chasm it's bbc so you unless you have some way of watching the BBC iPlayer, you won't be able to watch the first two episodes. But it is worth it if you can, because Inside Man starring Stanley Tucci and David Tennant, and indeed Dolly Wells, is very, very entertaining. So a good week of TV this week so far, I have to say. Let me know if you've been watching any of those shows I mentioned or anything at all, if you're spite watching anything. Uh, that's probably a rare thing. It's just for weirdos like me who do that kind of thing. I'm open on Twitter, John underscore Fardy, or you can email me screentime at newstalk.com. Now, as I mentioned, we have a competition for you this week. The new David O. Russell movie is Amsterdam in the 1930s. Three friends witness a murder or frame for it and uncover one of the most outrageous plots in American history. It's going to be in cinemas on October the 7th. It stars the great Christian Bale, the great Margot Robbie and the great John David Washington. And it's directed by David O. Russell. We have tickets to a screening on The Lighthouse this Monday. That's the Monday, the 3rd of October. The Lighthouse in Smithfield. Doors opening at 6 to film starts at seven if you would like to go please do remember you have to be in dublin to make it to the lighthouse cinema for seven o'clock is when the movie starts in smithfield in the lighthouse great cinema but if that's okay with you why not enter text the word amsterdam to 53106 or email amsterdam to screen time at newstalk.com and uh why not enter and Anne marie kane will pick three lucky winners Yes, you're listening to Screen Time News Talks TV and Movie Show. We turn to the week's new cinema releases, which this week include Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, which I have seen, and also a new psychological horror thriller of things of sorts called Smile, which I haven't seen. A man who has seen them both, a man indeed who sees all things, is Mark Royal. Hello, sir. Hello, sir. How are you? Very well, very well. It's my favourite time of the week. I get to Ra- toss the caber with you about movies, you know? Radiant, radiant, sir. <laughs> okay, so listen, let's start with Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, which Let's. I have seen. Uh, tell our listeners what's going on in this. It is, uh, it's set at the end of the, I think it's set around the end of the 1950s. Leslie Manville plays Ada Harris. Um, she's a cleaner and a widow who lost her husband during the war. Um, when she's cleaning the flat of one of her wealthy clients one day, Ada sees this uh, Christian Dior haute couture dress that cost 500 quid. And she becomes obsessed with the idea of owning one of her own. Um she has a win on the football pools and between one thing and another, she cobbles together enough money to travel to Paris and attempt to buy her very own uh, Christian Dior and cue, I suppose, lots of fish out of water shenanigans. 
Yes, indeed. Uh, it was funny seeing the football pools. That, that yeah. <laughs> even I'm too young to really remember them, you know. But uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah. So, th- so that's the basic premise on this. Now, I- I'll be honest with you. You don't read reviews, really. I don't. I, I-, I do I- because I don't have confidence in my own opinion. Clearly, but I <laughs> wanted to just get a sense of it, and I'm kind of surprised because because people seem to be loving this, and and I I didn't really, and it's often the type of thing that I might or. I certainly have a soft spot for. So, so what did you think of this? You're just, you're just too cynical, John. Yeah. See, this is. I, I wonder are the tables turning now. Something <laughs> happened. You know. Here's the thing. I think. Uh, I think the audience of this will definitely remember the football pools. It's. It's. De- <laughs> It's definitely aimed at the, the silver screen demographic. And, you know, women of a, a certain age will, are going to really love this. Having said that, though. You're not being ageist, of course. Sure you're not. No, I mean, that's just the, the audience for this, this movie is, is absolutely aimed mm. at, you know. Um, but having said all that, I think it's hard not to get caught up in its slipstream. And I found it all quite charming and light. Um, you know from the very first scene that this is going to be pure fantasy. There's mm-hmm. from the, the plinky plonky piano music and uh, Leslie Manville wandering through, you know, the twinkly lights, nightlights of, of a, a London that doesn't exist. I don't think outside of, of Paddington movies. Yeah, no, I know it, that never existed anywhere. But no, I it didn't. No, it's. I suppose it's this one is. It's a bit like uh, Paddington for 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 the the sherry set. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it is, but I, I, I really, I, I quite liked it, you know. You know I think- what? Do you know what? It's, it's funny. We've reached a weird point in our relationship You've where- you become uh, me. I've, well, turned, I've turned into the thing that I hate. That I claim to hate, yeah. No, but you know what's weird? I was watching this at one point thinking, yeah, I wonder Mar- what Mark's, Mark's going to hate this. I wonder what Mark's going to think about this. So you're now <laughs> infiltrating my home life. You know, not- like once, once you don't get into the bedroom, I think we're on safe enough ground. Though. Yeah, I think you put the brakes on that. That's not, yeah, okay. Well, anyway, I think. No, I was wondering what you what you would think about this, but, but, but you clearly yes. liked it. You, you found it charming. I it's look it's it is quite charming and it's it you know it's kind of irresistible it is so sugary and syrupy sweet that it could probably result in hyperglycemia um and everyone in this movie is lovely and they all just say lovely things to each other um and it's all so nice that it's really impossible to be too down on it i think yeah okay no um, uh, look you know you're you're drinking from the happy kool-aid this week which is you know nice but having, you know it's not that's not to say that it, it's not without its issues it's i think it's it's way too long it's at least 20 minutes longer than it than, than it should be yeah um, well, can, can i i'll let you go on but can i tell you just what the, the slight problem i have with it, it sure. or, or why i was expecting more mm. like i get that this is meant to be you know a sweet syrupy movie and as we've discussed many times i'm completely fine with those and, and yeah. i enjoy those and but i kind of thought this was going to be more like in the in the vein of something like i don't know not the full monty's not the best example but this idea yeah. of a working class almost fantasy right yeah and so the Scenes in London, I, I I quite like where she's working cleaning people's houses, and she has this unbreakable spirit, and she has her best pal, and mm. they're doing it together, and she goes for a drink. And Jason Isaacs, who I really liked in it, yeah. is this guy who may have a glad eye for her, and he's a bookie, and I like those scenes. But when they go to Paris, and she like invades the Kristen Dior fashion show. I just thought it was the wrong side of daft. It was too daft. And she meets this French guy, and suddenly, you know, she's sitting in French restaurants, talking in Cockney going, all right, ducks. And everyone, everyone understands her. And, you know, it was just a bit too daft that like, I'm all for sugary and sweet, but there has to be a certain point of, the rules of fantasy still have to apply and they just, they overshot the runway slightly for me. It is. It's what's that Jim Broadbent movie that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. It's, it's gone from my, I can't remember it now. Do you remember he stole yes, the, the, yes. the art? Uh, it, I know exactly the one you're talking about. The King something maybe. I can't remember. Yeah. But there's another movie in my mind as well that yeah. were the right side of 
not too daft, you know? Yeah, okay. It's it, But it, the English love these salt of the earth stories, you know, uh, with a heart of gold, you know, teaches the, the bourgeoisie the value of working class principles. Yes. Um, I, talk, I mentioned Paddington earlier, but, you know, maybe <laughs> it's, just, I, it's just struck me that Crocodile D does kind of the same thing. This is kind of like Crocodile Dundee in Paris with Sherry. <laughs> <laughs> but you think, see, but, yeah. but, but Paddington... And crocodiles uh, on tea okay, are I'm daft, being, yeah. but but they're enough. They're enough. The right side of logic. This left don't me a little. You, but don't you dare call Paddington daft. I'm not. No, gonna help I that. love it. It's it's <laughs> practically on 24 hours in my house, particularly the second one. Yeah, I love yeah. It. But but yeah. but it it bays the rule of fantasies. But anyway, it is. It's fantasy. I I, I think. An enormous part of its charm, though, is down to Leslie Manville. And yes, she's very good in it. There are buckets of other actors that I could have seen in the role. I, I presume Julie Walters was probably busy, but and it's not. It's not necessarily that the 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 normal sort of role that Manville does. Mm. Um, but she has this. It is this salt of the earth, uh, you know, Cockney working class character. But she, you, you also get that 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 effortless grace that Manville brings to every part, and it kind of undercuts that plucky working class spirit. I think it's an interesting combination, and I think that Man Manville makes it work in an interesting way for me. I know that you disagree. I think Manville is very good. And she's the highlight. I did think Jason Isaacs. I really liked him for some reason. And a previous guest his, uh, on this show. Irish accent? I thought it was pretty decent. It was a Northern Irish accent yeah. that was believable. I, I thought hats off to him. I think that's actually why I liked him. It was believable. Yeah, yeah. I I think it's just it's it's charming. It's light. It's very difficult to get too worked up about it. But I think it does. I've often talked about Sunday night movies, movies mm. that aren't quite particularly demanding, but like wouldn't make you feel too resentful about having to get up for work on a Monday morning. This is definitely one of those. Yeah. No, I, I, I see what you're saying. So what would you say stars wise for Mrs. Harris goes to Paris? I'm going to get, I think a generous three and a half. Okay. Okay. I'm going to give it two and a half and mm. I, I can't believe this is happening. There is a, there is a seismic shift. Very hard. Better, better tune in next week to see if this is a trend or it's just, just a one-off, but Mark has become me and I him. Bah humbug. Okay, let's take a clip of Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. This jaw dress that you desire so much, where will you wear it? At the Vienna Opera Ball or Queen Charlotte's? Will you wear it to polish floors or will you keep it shut in your little wardrobe? A jaw dress is designed to astonish and delight. How will you do that, Mrs. Harris? You, <laughs> forgive me for saying this, but you are nobody, invisible. How will you give this dress the life it deserves? It's my dream. Mrs. Harris goes to Paris there and Mark Ryle gave it three and a half and I only gave it two and a half. The movie, I think we were both trying to think of with uh, Jim Broadbent was The Duke. Isn't that right? Duke, that was it. Well done. Yes, exactly. The other racehorse movie, I can't remember and I did an interview about it only 18 months ago. But anyway, such is life. It may come to me before the end of the interview. Who knows? So listen, uh, another new release of the week is Smile, which I haven't seen. What's going on in this? Well, the weather's changing, there's a nip in the air, and there is a new horror in the cinema. So in Smile, uh, Sosie Bacon plays a psychological therapist called Rose, and during a therapy session one day, one of her patients tells her that she's being tormented by a malevolent entity. Um, and then the patient freaks out and kills herself in a very gruesome manner. And then soon afterwards, Rose begins to experience these terrifying visions of malevolent figures smiling menacingly at her. And... Um, she starts to realize that she is headed for the same fate as her former patient. That's that's what's going on in a nutshell. Murky stuff, yes, entertaining stuff. It's very good. I love a good horror, um, but it's been a, a while since I've had the opportunity to talk about a good horror. And I have to say mm -hmm. that this is this is really, really good. Um, now, of course, it is, you know, the, the, the entity thing is a metaphor and it's not a particularly subtle one. That's the, the idea that the trauma is inherited and passed down from parent to child. That's, that's, that's all grand. Um, it's, it's, there's no big names in the cast. Mm -hmm. Um, 
the the cast are having said that they're they're better than they normally should be expected for horror. Um, Sosie Bacon in particular, she's very 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 good. Um, you know, the more that her character tries to convince those around her that she's not crazy, the crazier she seems, and she goes through mm-hmm. a very very bad time. Um, but that she really does a fantastic job on on selling this idea of you know an unnatural set of circumstances and making it look uh, credible. And is there a lot of good scary moments in it? Jump scares, scares of other. I'm going to talk briefly about jump scares. There's nothing I hate more in a horror than when a director falls back on using jump scares because it's usually a sign that they don't have any other ideas on how to scare the audience. And it's the most basic and unimaginative tool, I think, in the box. And nothing is easier than having someone or something jump out with a loud noise. Um, having said that, though, I don't mind them when they're done, A, done well, and B, when they feel like they're earned. And although... Rose, the, char- the, the, the main character in this, she drops so many wine glasses, it, at one point it looks like she's working on commission. The, the, <laughs> the jump scares, they're very, or very... Or maybe low. going to a Greek wedding, huh? huh? <laughs> no, it's not a Greek wedding. She does drop a lot of wine glasses, though. But they are, they're really well done. And also, Smile has got more going for it than just jump scares. Um, okay. it's, it's a really, really... It's an incredibly efficient horror. And okay. it does that job very, very well. Okay. Come here. It's interesting you say that actors better than they should be, or certainly than we're used to seeing in horrors. Is it your contention that when it comes to horrors, they they just don't put as, I know it's, it's hard to be general about these things, but they don't put enough effort into the casting? I don't, that's a good question, but generally speaking, um, you know, it depends on the horror. I'm being unfair, but Mm. like I've seen a lot of horrors lately and, you know, (laughs) Let's just say that the, they're not bringing their A game. Um, okay. This is this is the exception, though. I'm happy to like. I'm always pleased to to you know to to big up a, a horror, a new horror. Yeah. And it's the thing. This isn't. It's not a reboot, and it's not a sequel. It's an original story. Um, obviously, that's not to say that the story is particularly original because uh, Smile. It's the. It's. I suppose it's the latest take on that. That cursed object trope if you like you, you see you get see this a lot in in j-horror like the that the videotape in um hideo nakata's ring or ringu do you remember mm-hmm. the, the, yeah of course yeah, yeah. um but mostly uh this is you probably might get this from the maybe not from my synopsis but it's really heavily heavily indebted to david robert mitchell's it follows um, now, there's two things about that. The first thing is that horror, I think, is one of the only genres where you can get away with that kind of thing, where one filmmaker will borrow from another and build on what's gone before. And the other thing is, I think it follows, in my opinion, it's one of the best horrors of the last decade. So I say, if you're going to steal, steal from the best. Yeah, yeah. It's funny, as, I, as I'm talking to you there, I have a sense that we may have to do our best horror movies of all time at some stage soon, I'm just thinking, because you have a lot to say Always about working, horror. Dan. Always yeah, working. Exactly. And it's just come to me. That movie I was trying to think about was Dream Horse. And I interviewed Owen Teal about it. And that's about this place in England where they come together and buy a horse. And that was the right side of daftness, I felt. Anyway, back to Smile. What are you going to say stars-wise? It sounds like you liked it a lot. I did like it a lot. I'm going to give it a, a four. I think it's terrific. Wow. Okay. Fantastic. Well, Smile is in cinemas this weekend, the 7th of October on, as is Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. Mark has been in smiling form, which is nice to see. Thank you, Mark. Talk next week. Talk to you next week, John. Thanks. Mark Royal there talking to me about Smile and Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris in a strange week where I'm turning into him and he's turning into me. Go figure. Up next, the powerful new documentary, Vicky. Now you're welcome back to Screen Time News Talks TV and Movie Show. Now, Vicky Phelan has rightly been described as a latter-day warrior queen. In 2018, on the steps of the High Court in Dublin, Vicky Phelan gave a now infamous address where she exposed one of the worst women's health scandals in Irish history. And of course, that's a cervical check scandal. Vicky is a new documentary film that will be released on the 7th of October in Irish cinemas. It's a profound and intimate journey into not only the fight to expose the truth of what happened to Vicky and lots of other women, but also her own personal fight and journey to stay alive. As I say, it's going to be in Irish cinemas from October 7th. Its director is Sasha King, and I'm delighted to say she joins me now. Hi, Sasha. How are you? Hi, John. 
I'm good, thank you. This may be a, a big ask, but you know, we have people in Ireland who listen to this show in England. So would you just give us a really quick reminder of what exactly happened to Vicky Phelan? I know it's a, it's a well-told story at this stage, but just on the top level, the facts of her journey in the last 10 years, if you would. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, the first I heard of Vicky um, was when she was on the six o'clock news um, on that uh, day in April 2018. And she had just come out of the high court. She had just taken the HSE and the American labs to court. She had a smear done in 2011 and it was reported as being normal and it wasn't normal. And she developed cervical cancer Um, in January of 2018 she um, was told she had six to 12 months um, to live um, and 12 months if she took palliative chemotherapy, mm-hmm. six months if she didn't. And um, she basically uh, fought to get herself onto um, pembrolizumab, which is an experimental um, drug. And she successfully did that. So yes, she's had a, an incredible journey. And-, and we should also say, just so people are aware that in a settlement she reached with the HSE and indeed, uh, well, I, I think the American labs were involved as well. She refused to sign a non-disclosure agreement. And that mm. was a huge moment for lots of other women as well, right? Mm. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, we would not know about what happened if Vicky had of chosen to sign the non-disclosure. So she she chose not to because she had an inkling that there was other women involved in this debacle. And, you know, it was a really courageous decision to make. Um, and it certainly strikes me that uh, it's scary to think that there might be, you know, situations like this happening in our health system and we just don't know and we never get to hear about them. But she made that conscious decision and then the other women had to be notified then of what was happening to them and their loved ones. So then in terms of you wanting to make a documentary with her and about her, how did you decide to do this? Or I mean, it seems like an obvious question, like what was mm. the motivation? But I mean, at the same time, why did you choose that you wanted to tell Vicky's story? Oh gosh, well, I mean, I go back to that time I was watching her on the news and I couldn't stop thinking about her and I just had this overwhelming need to connect with her, to apologize to her on behalf of the country. I wanted I wanted to reach out to her and as a filmmaker I was watching the story unfold very quickly and mm-hmm. you know she's she's an extraordinary person and making these incredible uh, decisions that for the betterment of 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 uh, future generations not just herself so I just thought it was very very important to connect with her um immediately so I I did that and we met in Dublin and we hit it off she's so warm and kind and generous with her time and um I pitched the concept of my portrayal of her to her and she she really liked it so yeah that's I was just overwhelmingly uh compelled to connect with her you know yeah well you, you certainly did connect with her so the way the documentary works is we see her story and we see it all presented from how she first discovered that there had been these abnormalities that were never reported to other women coming out because of what of what she's done but you also you know decamp to her house and you spend lots of lots of time with her did you did you in essence live with her for a period of time no we didn't live no i didn't do that i mean vicky is um a mom with uh you know it it felt like that at times (laughs) Yeah, she's she's mm-hmm. she's got, you know, two amazing children, Dara and Amelia, and um she's a busy mom too. And um no, but she's so generous with her time and um I I she has a, a home in, in County Clare and it's a place she does go to. I mean she's talked about this very publicly herself, but it's a place she likes to go to to get away from the media, the frenzy media, you know, kind of um I mean she was it's so, so much demand in that period of time we were filming in 2018 and 19 mm-hmm. into um, early 2020, you know? Um, but yeah, so we would, we would spend a lot of time in Claire. Um, 
And it's really her place where she goes to take time out and reflect and, um, you know, some alone time. And uh, I was, I thought it was a wonderful place to film her um, and get that side of Vicky as well. So that's, that's where we did a lot of filming, but I filmed her uh, all over the country, you know, I mean, she's, Mm -hmm. she was, um, she's very much, um, well, her, her role as an, as an activist was uh, evolving so quickly back then as well. Um, and a spokesperson and advocate for the emerging 221 plus group, you know, mm-hmm. of, of other women and families affected by this uh, scandal, debacle. Um, and um, she, she, she was, her time was in great demand, but I was able to, you know, we were, we were, we were a team, you know, and mm-hmm. um, she's a wonderful collaborator and an incredible producer um and we would um talk constantly and plan and strategize on what who were the best people to film and she would let me know what was coming up in the week and that kind of thing so yeah we we spent a lot of time together in that period of time yeah now you mentioned the 221 the other women affected and i one of those women you talked to so lorraine walsh says you know it's it's terrible that fate deals you a bad hand you get cervical cancer or whatever tragedy might befall someone because of an accident of fate but for them to have human negligence compound that and make it so much worse is, is such a cruel fate and i was i was really struck by that that we all have challenges in our life not that i'm comparing any challenges I might have to having cervical cancer, but when a challenge gets compounded by negligence, it's 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 so hard to take, and that comes across. And yet, I was really taken by Vicky's lack of. Of course, she's angry at times, and she's obviously upset, but she's not bitter. Uh, and and it takes a lot not to be bitter about something like that. How do you see that? Well, I mean, I wouldn't like to talk for Vicky and how she feels, but I do know what I was able to depict through the film of her. Um, And I think she's an incredibly, uh, incredibly intelligent woman. Um, And she um, is able to get perspective. um, And she has zoned in on what's important in life um yeah from this and so you know i mean to say she isn't angry i i I don't know that that's actually correct but she is able to put her energy into um what's important and um, the fight for you know other women successfully for other women to have access to pembrolizumab was huge you know Mm. she was campaigning um the then uh tishak leo vradker to make sure that the other women didn't have to go through that grueling court um scenario the, the the that she had to go through um i mean every time you know we 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 turned a corner she was um fighting for something to do with these uh women and families that um were affected uh, are affected so you know that's where she puts her energy and um and that this just it this just epitomizes her this is this is the kind of person that she is and this is why we're all drawn to her and this is why you know we love her Mm -hmm. she's able to keep going and progress and educate us and give us, yeah. you know, um, you know, uh, kind of huge messages, huge life messages. Yeah, absolutely. And just to clarify, I did say bitter as opposed to angry because sure. she has every right to be angry and she has every right to be bitter, but it strikes me that she doesn't seem particularly bitter. The music in the movie uh, is, is particularly important. And just two people I want to mention, Steve Wall of The Stunning and of course his brother Joe and and, and Brezzy, can you just tell our listeners their, you know, mild involvement in the film because their their presence is very affecting. Well, definitely. I mean, Brezzy um, wrote that song "Play God" for Vicky, mm-hmm. um, and uh, that features over the end titles of the film. And yeah. it's a really powerful track. It's Absolutely stunning, yeah. And speaking of stunning, um, aha, you know, aha, <laughs> <laughs> the. Um, the Stunning are Vicky's favorite band and she yeah. has seen them uh, play live for, you know, decades at this point. And 
um, they had played a private concert for Vicky, um, her family and friends. Uh, and uh, I filmed uh, at that. And so that's actually in the, in the film. And, um, you know, obviously their track Brewing Up a Storm was happening while I was filming. And uh, I just think it's such a such an apt song to um, have in there to kind of portray Vicky just generally, you know. Yeah. But there's also another, a couple of other tracks I just want to mention too. Like there's a track called I'm Still Here that was written um, and sung by Anya Morgan. And Anya is someone who campaigned successfully with Vicky to get access to Pemberley's map for all women in Ireland. And Anya is also obviously a singer. So we were delighted to have that. Uh, that was written for Vicky. Sorry if I've said that, but that was written for her also. And then there's another song um, that's really important called, um, it's the title track called This Fight. And um, that's played over the beach scene towards the end of the film. And it's a very reflective piece of visuals um, where um, Vicky is standing on her favorite beach. Um, and basically that was written. So this is interesting. Like the, my producing partner, Bill Snodgrass, uh, he wrote the, the soundtrack generally for the film and he wrote this track um, and uh, our sons sing it. So oh. um, I had had this concept for this anthem like a siren, uh, you know, for and from Vicky that we should include in the film. So we've been thinking about that for a long time. Um, and yeah, that's in there also. So I'm really proud of the music that we have in, in the film. Just yeah. generally. Isn't that lovely? Listen, and you may not even want to get into this, but I, I feel honor bound to ask. I mean, it's, it's, it's shown on the documentary when she's talking to Ryan Tuberty that she has decided to stop, let's call it more aggressive treatment and is from last we heard now in, I guess, a palliative stage, or that's certainly our understanding from what we last heard. Can you tell us how Vicky is now and where she's at? Well, I wouldn't, you know, that's for her to okay. share if she feels or deems it to be appropriate. And she does have, you know, a fabulous uh, online social media profile when she wants to put something out there. She does, you know, so I just don't, I, I wouldn't comment on that. I'll know? buzz off then and we can check her <laughs> social media if we want to know any more. Yeah. Is she, is she going to come to the premiere of the film? Do you know? Well, the film actually premiered in February. So oh, this that's is, right. Yeah. yeah Sorry, so I mean the, oh, yeah, of course. Sorry, yeah. forget I said that. <laughs> um, yeah, so it, anyway, so it, it, film, it, it premiered rather in the Virgin Media Dublin Film Festival and won an award there. So yeah, we were delighted with that. Um, this is the release that's coming up on the 7th of October. So it's going into cinemas all around the country. Yes. And I just really... I'm yeah. just so thankful that it's, you know, it's, we, we, we finished it and it's getting this amazing release through Volta, but just, uh, I just think it's a very important film. I think it's uh, just a bit of a wake up call just generally for society. And these are the messages that come through from Vicky and, um, I hope people, uh, enjoy it. It's, it's, it's an inspirational story. It's, it's obviously very sad at times, obviously. Um, but it's also vitally important. It's very sad, but it's incredibly inspiring at times. It really is. Uh, and I'm not just saying that because because you're on the line to me. It, it's an absolutely powerful movie, and I'll be urging people to see it. Vicky, the documentary directed by Sasha King, is in cinemas on October the 7th. You should go and see it. Sasha, thank you very much. Thank you, John. This is my medical file. This is when I got all the information back from... Copies from my solicitor. The original result was no abnormality detected. And then when they reviewed it on the audit, it says squamous cell carcinoma. Squamous cell carcinoma is cancer. I was just so shocked, to be honest. And I said, well, how bad? How bad is this? Is this still something that I can survive? And she said, no. For me, it was that day that I decided I'm taking back control of this. I knew at that point there were other women that were in the same boat as me, out there at home, not knowing this was going on. I just couldn't, you know, stand over that. 
the stirring words there of Vicky Phelan. And Vicky is in cinemas next week, the 7th of October. And a powerful documentary it is. And you heard me talking to its director, Sasha King. Up next, comedian, actress, radio presenter, Laura O'Mahony on her favourite movie. Now you're welcome back to Screen Time News Talks TV and Movie Show. It's that stage of the week where we talk to someone well-known about their favourite movie. Laura O'Mahony is a stand-up comedian and the co-host of The Breakfast Show on Cork's Red FM. She's an accomplished comic actor. One of the things I first saw her in was the wonderful initially web series The School where she, on the RT player where she played a very unhinged but very funny uh, school secretary. You may also recognise her from the much-loved kids science show Body Brothers where she plays Auntie B. She has a lot of gigs coming up which she's going to tell me about and her movie choice has to be applauded Laura hello and tell our listeners what your favourite film is Hello, how are you? Well, my favourite film is I Love You Man (laughs) (laughs) So this is the Paul Rudd uh, Who's the other actor in it? Jason Segel Sorry, Jason Segel Sorry, sorry Call myself a movie buff he is the great Jason Siegel. I just, like, I Love You Man is a great movie, but Jason Siegel, no matter what he's in, did I call him Jason Siegel there? I think he prefers Siegel. Uh, whatever he's in, I just love because he's just, he's kind of charismatic, but all wrong in the best way possible. I love everything about that man. <laughs> I know, I, I, and I, I'm very sympathetic to ugly men who women find charming. It, it's done a lot for me over the years. But listen, let's row it back slightly. Tell our listeners... I love you, man, what it's about. Because it's a buddy comedy, a bromance thing. It is. Now, I love a bromance. Like, I was absolutely all about all of the bromances, like super bad stepbrothers, all of them. But this is I love you, man. Paul Rudd, Jason Siegel. The basic premise is that Paul Rudd, at the start of the film, proposes to his girlfriend, Zoe, And they're delighted. They're getting married. Happy days. Then it dawns on him that he doesn't have any uh, best friend, male friend, who could be a best man. So Zoe, his fiance, is quite troubled by this. And basically, um, the character that he plays, Peter Clavin, goes about embarking on the search for a best man. Um, So he tries to, his brother introduces him to a couple of characters. Um, and eventually we come, we meet this guy, Sidney Fife, played by Jason Siegel. And he is, um, they, they, he's, so Peter is an estate agent. So he meets him at a big open house and it kind of starts from there. The bromance builds from there. He makes friends with this chaotic, joyous man. And we see whether he becomes the best man or not. <laughs> yeah. And no, I remember vividly as, as watching it and thinking, oh, this is just some kind of, you know, buddy comedy. And, and just, I find it, I found it delightful. And, you know, from a male point of view, and you're a woman and I'm a man, in case that isn't apparent to listeners, but there's a bit of heart in this and that there are plenty of men and women who find themselves maybe at marrying age or whatever, and they've lost friends or their group has dissipated, or maybe they just went off in a different way and didn't make that many friends or whatever. So there is a quite, there's a nice piece about male friendship in it as well. A hundred percent, because I think women always have their girls. You know, we always have people that we can go for girly brunch to. We have we have our mommy friends, you know, we have girls night out and all of that. And we're very good for talking to our, our gal pals, whereas actually men don't have that many. Like my own husband probably has maybe three excellent friends and Mm. one of them is actually only a kind of a recent one so like at that moment I could have picked 15 people to be my bridesmaids whereas like my husband was in a similar situation of like well who is going to be my best man so there is something very sweet and I think like it's a very basic premise for a film but because Paul Rudd and Jason Segel they seem to get on so well together there's such chemistry between them there's such crack between the two of them that it actually really elevates the film from being just a kind of standard buddy comedy to just being a little piece of joy and Mm. they're just like everything I love everything that Paul Rudd is in because I just think he is you can tell that he's you know this and sometimes comedians in real life let's be honest about it John are an absolute dose but you can tell 
that Paul isn't and that he loves having the crack. You can tell that he's improving some of the scenes or mm. that they were given, you know, free reign to kind of spitball back and forth off each other and bounce off each other. And that to me really lights up a film when you can see that like the actors have had a certain amount of input. Obviously, the script in the end was like finalised, but you can see that they've kind of played on set, that they've bounced off each other. And that's what kind of sets it apart for me from other romances. Like, I'd love to say that my favourite film was some high art, but it's not. Two lads having crack in a kind of a ultimately quite wholesome film. Yeah. That is me all. I love that. Yeah, and my memory of it is, you know, we both have children. I have a 10-year-old. I, I like to show some movies to There's nothing too raunchy in it or anything. Sure there isn't. It's wholesome. Or am I getting that completely no, wrong? Or No, it is wholesome. Like, I'm not going to be showing it to my seven and four-year-old just no, a while. Okay, yeah, yeah. But, like, it'll definitely be on the list definitely be on the list when they're about 10 it is wholesome like it's and and then like it's so random in a way then randomly what's his name Lou Ferrigno is yeah. in it is he the Hulk yeah yeah He's god yeah I forgot that kind of constant they're trying to sell his house and he's kind of like a whole side storyline on it the, the Incredible Hulk like it's just it, it's one of those movies that like yeah, as a child, you could feel like, oh, this is a bit bold watching this. But mm. actually, there's nothing in it other than, I think, pure joy, to be honest. And then there's that iconic slap at the bass scene, <laughs> which is the greatest, the greatest moment ever. And actually, if you listen really oh. carefully, it sounds like Paul Rudd is doing a Cork accent in that. So I appreciate that. <laughs> oh, you know, mission accomplished, Laura, because I, I actually feel like watching it because it is a movie that would make you smile. I want to tell you two things about that. Firstly, the the male friendship thing is very I have four friends that my wife calls the inner sanctum I have other friends but we're, men are very possessive about their friends but th this is about you not me but I think your point about male friendship is very well made but secondly I want to tell our listeners I really appreciate you choosing this because you did say to me in a message I would say my favourite movie is With Nail and I but F that that's just for cocktail party talks really it's I love you man so I applaud you for going with your gut well, the, I use Whitney and I as a kind of a notionsy answer. You know, I think as a comedian, you should really be like responding to Whitney and I as a kind of seminal work or whatever. But really, in my head, I'm like, I want to say I love you, man. So I finally stuck to my guns on this and Whitney and I be damned. <laughs> well done. Well, I love you, man, is her favourite movie. Listen, you're a busy lady. You mentioned you have children, but you're a gigging comedian and yet you co-host a breakfast show five mornings a week on Red F. FM. Is life, sure. is life very busy? Life is very busy between the hours of kind of 6 and 10am. Um, I would be lying if I said I was doing brain surgery. So I'm on Cork's Red FM with Rob Heffernan and Kira Revens. So we're in, the, like, the, you have to get up early. There's just no two ways about mm. it. It's breakfast radio. You have to get up. And I have just put in a no tiredness clause. This is what we all function off of. We're not allowed to be tired. We're not allowed to say we're tired. Like, if you say you're tired, there's no way for that conversation to go that's just boring. So we just are all high functioning, get out the door, do the show, two hours a crack, three hours a crack, and then quick little meeting afterwards. And then I'm free from, I'm very free then from 10 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if people want, I don't know, some work or whatever, you're available. I love your let's not talk about tiredness policy because outside of morning radio presenters, I think that should be just given to all people as a conversation no-no. Like most of us are tired half the time and it is, as you say, a conversation killer. Like where do you go after? Jeez, I'm wrecked. Like what? Oh, sorry. Like, you know, and it's the worst thing to say to someone when you meet them. Like, you know, I'm tired because you're almost apologising, saying I don't actually want to make an effort with you. So again, I salute you for your no tiredness policy. Well, 100% because I'm not one for like squashing emotions. So I'm all about like, if you're sad, cry or whatever. But the tiredness one, I'm like, there is, there's no benefit to you. There's no benefit to the person who's listening. Like you can actually reprogram your brain a little bit and just be like, oh, I don't do tired. I'm I'm not tired. Yeah. Because people are always like, oh, what time do you have to get up for the breakfast? <laughs> and they kind of tilt their head yeah. to the side. They like, should God help us? And I'm very realistic. <laughs> I am not going into CAH doing uh, brain surgery. Like, yeah. I know that I'm just getting to play for three hours in the morning uh, for however long I get to do it. So there's no point in me whinging about that when there are people doing like big ass jobs yes. <laughs> out in the 
world. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Don't be a dunce. Yeah. <laughs> no, I love the thing though as well. People tilting their head. Oh, you poor thing. You get up so early. And it's like this conversation you don't want to have about what time you get up at. So again, I salute you. I'm giving you lots of salutations here. So listen, you're a gigging comedian. You're going to be playing in Chris Kent's new venue in Cork. Is that right? Absolutely. Chris Kent is after setting up a comedy club in the White Horse in Balancholic. Mm-hmm. So I'm gigging there um, this Thursday with Cornelius Patrick O'Sullivan. And, and that's Chris the Kent. 6th of October? 6th of October. That's the date. That is the date. So that's that. And then I've my own massive show is on the 15th of October in the Everyman. It's called Laura Manny. Skitting, howling, screaming, roaring. And I'm hoping to have that finished being written soon. Oh, OK. Now, is that is that your biggest venue as a solo top of bill performer? Pardon my ignorance. It is, yeah. So I, I actually was booked to do the Everyman um, the week of lockdown. So that gig ended up happening like kind of a year and a mm. half on. In a, in a, it, it, we did it in four parts instead of doing okay. one big sold out gig. So this will be my first time, hopefully, doing a sold out Everyman, and with yeah, with me as the main event, which Brilliant. is a pleasure because it's just a night of crack. It's just yeah. like they're there to see me, I'm there to see them. Let's have a ball. And it's a home crowd, which I think always helps, right? Oh, always helps. Like Laura needs to get out of Cork now and start doing some gigs outside of Cork, but it's very hard to leave when they're so nice. (laughs) (laughs) And tell me this, you know, again, it's probably one of those questions you don't, you know, you're tired of asking, but I'm always fascinated because being a stand-up comedian to me is such an unusual job, but there's a sorcery to it because you get up on stage with nothing and you create something out of nothing and hopefully you send people home in a good mood and make them laugh. How, what was your moment to go... I'm going to give this a go. Well, I did drama and theatre studies in college and very quickly when I came out of college, I realised that I was never going to be Sive in the Abbey, that there was like thousands of amazing female actors that were better at crying than me, better at getting their emotions than me. And I realised, oh, my skill is making people laugh. And there's fewer of us that are better at that. So I might have a fighting chance. So I, but it took me ages. So I finished college in 2009, but I didn't actually start stand up until 2013. And I just entered So You Think You're Funny. It's a mm-hmm. big competition in the Edinburgh Fringe. Got as far as the semi-final, got to go over to Edinburgh, was absolutely robbed in the semi-final by another one. And then I came home and was like, I'm not doing no more competitions now. So I just started going out doing my gigs. And like, basically, my whole life, I only have ever wanted to make people laugh and have the crack. So this is, it, but it doesn't stop it being terrifying. Like every day that I have a gig is a day that I'm in the toilet for the day is a day that my husband has to take the kids away because I'm just too irate. You get very worked up. You're like, why am I doing this? This is a mistake. I should do something else. And then you do the gig and you're like, that was amazing. I love it. I want to do it every day. So it's very, it's very difficult on the tummy being a stand-up. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's working for you. Her favourite movie is the, I would say, underrated I Love You Man starring Paul Rudd and Jason Siegel as opposed to Seagull. She's doing her headline show in the Everyman Theatre. Are there still a few tickets it's available? There's a few knocking around, but not for long, I hope. On the 15th of October. Exactly. Laura Mahoney, thank you so much. Thanks, John. Oh, yeah. I slapped the bass big time. What do you, what is that? You sound like a leprechaun. No, what that's that? a reggae guy. Um, I just did reggae. It doesn't sound. It doesn't sound reggae? No. Slap the bass. No. Uh, how is it? It's like big time, big time, big time. Big time. Slip the bass, big time. Mm. Slap at the bass. That sounded like Borat. Yeah. Slap at the bass. Big time. That's better. That's better. Ah, yes. Paul Rudd slapping the bass <laughs> opposite Rashida Jones there in the great I Love You Man, an inspired choice by the lovely Laura O'Mahony, who was chatting to me about her favourite movie. That's it for this week. My thanks to Anne-Marie Kane, who helped out on the show, and indeed all my guests, Laura O'Mahony, Sasha King and Mark Ryle. We'll do it all again next week. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with me at any stage, please email me screentime at newstalk.com or you can tweet me john underscore Farty is my Twitter handle. This show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on Newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. And it's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm right here on Newstalk. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Have a safe week ahead and I'll talk to you all next week.